welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. For uh, some of you who are aware and some who may not be aware, the church moves through what is called a liturgical calendar. And so as some have said, how do we pick the colors each time for the altar and for the pulpit? These are called the paraments. And the paraments are anything that is colored that adorns a sanctuary space. Um, a young child walking in a church not too long ago said, how come your bib keeps changing colors? <laughs> so, well, it's, not, it's, it's called a stole. Uh, it, it is representative of the, the clergy responsibility to serve and liturgically represents the cloth that Jesus took from around his waist that he dried the disciples' feet. It is to be a reminder to us that we are called forth from the representative life of the church to be in service to the church, not to be served, but to, to, to serve others, unless it relates to donuts <laughs> or cupcakes, as Sarah let us know. Or tamales, or tamales, yes. So, no quieres caliente, por favor. So, I've learned to say that very clearly. I do not want hot, please. I have Danish blood and it shows. And so we have what's called a liturgical calendar that guides us through the church year. So this is basically the end of the year in the church calendar. This is what the church calendar would look like. Seedbed put together a wonderful graphic that helps us see what happens. If you will notice on the far right-hand side of your screen, you see the crown. This is known as Christ the King Sunday. So the church seeks to have this rhythm, and it begins next week in Advent as we look expectantly, and we're in the dark, we're looking for the hope of the one who is to come in the Christ. So it's from darkness to light. Christ is born, and then there is epiphany, the season of sharing with the world that carries us for several Sundays. We have the season of Lent that takes us into the place of spiritual practices and disciplines. And then you obviously, hopefully know that that sense of Dark to light is parallel to the sense of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So then we're in what's known as Eastertide, and Eastertide leads us to Pentecost. And then Pentecost flows out into Kingdom Tide, and we go from a church that is broken and separated to a church which is ordained by God, consecrated by God, set apart for the work of the kingdom, and spreads the gospel throughout the world. You can read all about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then we have this series of Sundays from Pentecost that's called Kingdom Tide, and we go all the way through to the last Sunday of the year, which is today. Now, we've only really celebrated Christ the King Sunday since 1925. At the end of World War I, the Sunday was set apart as a way of reminding the church that there is a kingdom of light and hope, and there's a kingdom of darkness and of conflict. And we set this day apart, and literally, it is a day in which we celebrate that Christ is the king of the world. Now, whether you acknowledge his kingship, his kingdom or not, he still is king. I, I, I love the imagery that's set forth that the kingship of Christ, the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of God, whether you acknowledge it or not. What we proclaim as the church, that this is a transcendent truth. 
And some of the nuances that seek to give a relative nature to the church's calendar are subtly um, have little places that we need to be very careful of. For example, you may hear people call this uh, not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God. And they drop the G in an effort to make it more sort of soft feeling. And I call it the pottery barn approach, right? You want to smell better, to look nice, and be 25% off on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But take up that cross and have a nice day. No, it's the kingdom of God. You see, when you take out the G, and it makes it it makes it human-centered when it's a kinship because, you see, you can get from kingdom of God to a kingdom, which is a, we, we have our kinfolk. What you can't do is start with the human venture and arrive at the kingdom values. It has to originate with God's values, with God's declaration, with what's revealed in Scripture. And the way that gets lived out in many ways, too, is you'll hear this called as the day of the reign of God. And you say it every week that you say the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, when we talk about God's kingdom and the kingship of Christ and Christ the King Sunday, it is celebrating that Christ has triumphed over death and that the will of God and the kingdom of God are inseparably found in the incarnation of the person of Christ. And this is what we're going to celebrate today. This is what the hymns are about, the creed's about, the, the message is about. And we're going to look into this tension that gets played out in the streets of Jerusalem between Jesus and Pilate. They've gathered Jesus. It's after the garden. He's already been brought to Pilate. Basically, the one who from Rome says, keep peace in Jerusalem with all of those Jewish zealots and those Jewish people. Don't let anything create any problems. You keep the peace. We're going to unpack a few things that, that hopefully will help set the context of the tension and the particular nature of the claims of the church and the witness of the gospel of who we are as God's people today. In that spirit, I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able. We're going to hear today from the gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 36 through 40. Jesus says, and he's saying this to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I want you to look at that very carefully. My kingdom is not of this world. Hold on to that thought. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
You may be seated. And as you are, let us pray together. May your spirit, O God, come and stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the gospel of Christ, in whose name we have gathered, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart this place and seek to be people of your kingdom, people of Christ. And all of God's people did say, Amen. There's a story that is often circulated among the ranks of preachers and pastors and sermons and books about a Danish king that when the forces of Hitler and Himmler invaded Denmark, there was a direct order that everyone who was in Denmark, who was Danish, would have to wear the Star of David. And so the king proclaimed to all of his people that every person who is a Dane would wear the yellow star, Jewish or not. He wanted to identify with his people. That's a wonderful story, isn't it? There's only one problem. It's not true. Too often at times there is folklore, and while it is an admirable thing, and I wish it had happened, it did not. But over time, stories become legends. In some way, what brings Jesus into Pilate's presence and creates this conflict is the very legend of who Jesus would be that was being fabricated, that he was going to rise up an earthly army and take over things in Jerusalem there was already a tension that existed between Pilate and the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders. Years before Pilate came into Jerusalem and we celebrate his entry on the same day that Jesus came in on the back of a donkey. We call it Palm Sunday. And Pilate comes in full of Rome's might and wants to proclaim that you must follow our rules. And he works with the Sanhedrin But Jesus has such great tension with the Jewish leaders that it comes to this place where they're trying to exercise Pilate's authority. And there are things that happen in this text that sometimes we overlook. I love how the biblical narrative itself teases out tensions and it's a beautifully, masterfully written document. Think for a moment. You've got the Sanhedrin, this group of religious leaders, and in order to remain clean, if you read what precedes the text that we read, they actually won't go into the area where Pilate is because they want to remain clean. And so they're staying outside of Pilate's fortress, which basically means that Pilate is having to be the go-between. And imagine here's Pilate, the one who's supposed to have all the power and authority of the world is appointed by Rome doing the work of a courier. Pilate goes in and talks to Jesus. Okay, let me go talk to Sanhedrin. He goes back out and talks to the Sanhedrin. Ask them it. They ask, go back in and talk to Jesus. He's going back and forth and back and forth. There's just a beautiful kind of tension that exists when those who think they have all the power are outside of Pilate's palace area. And Pilate, who is proclaimed to be the one who has all of the authority both of whom are in conversation 
But the one who was born is King of kings and Lord of lords. The one cradled in Mary's arms, who had opened blind eyes, raised the dead to life, make the lame to walk, feed the hungry. He's the one who's the true king this day. And there is this flow that happens between the tension of who really is in charge of this world. What is the kingdom's value? Well, we know who it is for us. It's Jesus. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And in the midst of this, there is this idea that Jesus has a kingdom. And I pause at the very beginning as we picked up in verse 36. Hopefully you noticed in verse 36 that when when Pilate comes to Jesus and says, you are a king, right? That's what's proclaimed. He said, well, you've said so. And then Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world. Just verses later, he says that my kingdom is from another place. Now, here's the nuance of why I wanted you to pick up on that. What difference is it, does it make that his kingdom is not of this world? He is being attempted to be cornered into having a political overthrow, and he won't take the bait. As J.B. Phillips once said, your arms are always going to be too short to box with God. This little sort of banter happens. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. That's entirely different than saying that my kingdom is not in this world. You see, this is the tension we live in. A kingdom that is born from a place beyond the brokenness of our world. So we are God's people drawn into the world, but not of the world. Gosh, Paul says it later, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul says in Romans. Be in the world, but don't be of the world. And so Jesus is automatically setting apart that the kingdom he's talking about has nothing to do with a power grab of the political systems in this earthly environment. It's a transcendent truth. The word in the Greek is the basileia. And Jesus says, I'm not going to have a basileia or a kingdom that'll be here. It's not about a geographic territory. It's about the territory of your heart. And then Pilate continues to press into Jesus. And he says, so you are a king. And he says, well, all right, you say a king. And then Jesus says clearly, look, if you're going to follow me and all who do, they hear the truth because this is what I was born for. I was born to proclaim the truth. Do you see this masterful work of the narrative from kingdom to truth? And then this is where the greatest rub of uncomfortableness comes for you and me as part of a world that is filled with freedoms to think what we want and do what we want, Pilate says, and he echoes our words, oh, what is truth? The tension that is held in the world today is that too often the church has avoided the conflict that could come because it doesn't want to upset anyone, and it's forgotten the particular claims of who we are as God's people in the world. We do things because we're God's people in this world that are different than others around us. 
We should be the people who look for our neighbor. And so we ask, who is our neighbor? We should be seeking to serve our neighbor. We should be seeking to ask, who is the hungry and feed them? We should be asking, who are those that have no clothing and clothe them? To ask, who thirsts for righteousness and provide them water? But all the while that we are engaged in these relief of human effort, we should never abandon the proclamation of the truth. And here are two truths that are transcendent and timeless, that define us on this Christ the King Sunday. First, Christ's kingdom is about how you live, not about where you live. Christ's kingdom is about how you live, not where you live. Throughout the face of this earth, across ethnicities, across all nationalities, this day is being celebrated that Christ the King is the one who is the, the triumphant King of righteousness, the one whose love transcends our differences. And friends, I know something about differences. I know that there's times when there's tensions that are held, but let me tell you, um, I've learned that it's not just what you say, it's what you do, and I learned this in a very practical and painful way this week. On Tuesday morning, we were all in my house, Sean and I, we got up early and she was baking some goods for her Bible study and it was going to be bring something good to staff day. And so Sean decided that what she was going to do is if I helped, we were going to make those, I love those little sausage balls, those little cheddar sausage balls. And so uh, we got everything together And my routine is I love to watch the top 10 on SportsCenter in the mornings, Monday through Friday. Or if you watch it, you know, Fridays are not necessarily the top 10, but Monday through Thursday are the top 10. It's 6.55, we've gotten everything done and whatnot. And I said, hey, I'm gonna go sit down. I wanna watch the, I wanna, I wanna see the top 10. I'll come back in and help clean up. No sooner than I sat down, than I heard this noise. <laughs> Thought something fell. Just moments earlier, you know, we'd been using the oven, the kitchen was getting warm, and so I turned the fan on, uh, right adjacent to the kitchen is sort of our living space, and I turned the fan on high, so there'd be lots of wind moving. And as I came around the corner, I noticed this white cloud emanating from the kitchen area. Uh, Sean had just poured a brand new five-pound bag of flour into the shatterproof plastic container. Do you know they really don't shatter when you drop them from about three and a half feet to four feet? But you know what they do? They create a cannon effect. It hit at an angle facing the pantry and the refrigerator. And as I cleared the corner through all of the, I could see what looked like just an explosion of flour. And I did what every rationally thinking male in this room would do. With absolute compassion, no accusation whatsoever, I simply asked, what happened? <laughs> and my wife responded, Arkansas word, Arkansas word, Arkansas word, you think happened. Whoo! <laughs> 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 my words didn't actually convey. I was just curious. And, and, and that curiosity really didn't come through. But after 42 minutes of the shot back, I was redeemed. You see, what you say and what you do have to line up. Christ the King Sunday is about what is your heart and is what you do align with what you say? 
each week when you leave this place, are you actually seeking and looking for the opportunities to be the hands of Christ in the world? Are you looking for places to serve? The, the church exists really to sort of be a training ground. We should invite you into places of service, not because that's the end point, but because it's the beginning point. The church should never abandon its desire and passion to ask every single week, do you know the difference between sitting in the pew and having a personal relationship with Christ? A personal relationship to Christ can bring you to the pew to worship, but being in the pew won't always lead to a transformed life. It, it's, it's about your words and actions aligning themselves, getting involved, participating, and asking how does your life need to resemble not the kingship of this world, but the kingship of Christ. I love the way that Emerson once noted that, that Jesus' name is not so much as written into the history of the world as this plowed into the history of the world. I love that imagery. It's not just written in, it's plowed in. S.M. Lockridge once put it this way, Herod, could, Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yes, that's my king. I love that imagery. The world cannot hold or hold down who Christ is. But my friends, the scariest part about this is that you and I can be limits to God's kingdom on earth as we know that it is in heaven. And secondly, it's important to remember that our citizenship in Christ's kingdom, where we call him Christ as Lord, is ultimately determined by how we live life in worship. How we live life and how we worship. How we gather and how we live. We choose to live as people who look at the world differently, who are willing to take a risk, who are willing to be uncomfortable, who are willing to go wherever God leads, even though we don't know exactly where that path goes. And when we think about who Christ is, think for just a moment across the span of history. I make this case for Christ. Socrates taught for over 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40. Jesus only taught for three years while on earth. And yet the influence of Christ's three years of ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by a combined 130 years of teaching from these amazing people who were instruments of philosophy and antiquity. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael and Michelangelo and Leonardo, they received their inspiration from Christ. Jesus wrote no poetry, and yet Dante and Milton and scores of the world's greatest poets are inspired by Christ. Jesus composed no music, and still Haydn and Handel and Beethoven and Bach and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection in the melodies and the requiems and the hymns and symphonies and oratories composed in praise of God. Just last night, I listened to the Kingwood Chorale sing two different magnificent pieces. And if you just looked at the words, you would realize this is the church. This is the message of the church. God in all his glory give praise. It is Christ who comes to redeem us from the pit of hell and sin. All glory be given to God. Friends, whether it be from a requiem mass, or 
from the mass of your life and how you live. In this Christ the King Sunday, we are invited into the rhythms of this world to be different, to be defined by who Christ is. If you, in your walk with Christ, have never had that opportunity to be specifically aware of a yes, let me invite you to think about that surrender. In the words of that old hymn, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Will you yield and give your life fully and freely to the one who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Emmanuel, God who is with us, the one who has conquered death, that we might know life eternal, Christ the King, who is truth, who is life, who is light in the dark world. Let's pray together. God, as we ponder and reflect upon our own journey of faith, we pause in this moment to give you thanks for those who have nurtured us, maybe in kind words of instruction, maybe in firm words of correction, but they helped us to more clearly hear your call to each of us. God, we give you thanks for those who have modeled and given us the example of what it means to surrender and give our life fully to Christ. God, we give you thanks that you're never done saving us and that in the process of yielding our life, we even today look for another opportunity to yield our life to you. God, we give you thanks that as we move from this place into the world, you have equipped us with the ability to see what the world needs and to meet that need. May we leave here being reminded of who we are, of whose we are, and who we are called to be as people who follow Christ the King. For we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen.